Welcome to Tackling the NFL After Dark. I'm Josh Rosenberg. That's Adam Baltax. And this is the only NFL podcast that will take Kyle Pitts with the number one overall pick. I say after dark because it is very late uh, Tuesday night as we are recording. Had busy days, but we are excited to be back with all of you talking about the AFC North and breaking down how all of their seasons went. Um, Some very, very interesting teams who took some very strange trajectories. So I'm looking forward to this. Adam, anything you're thinking of before we get started? Yeah, this this is always considered one of the better uh, divisions in the NFL because of the Ravens and the Steelers, and also some of the worst in the NFL because of the Browns and Bengals. So I think that divide is slowly coming to an end but with the rise of the Browns, but it will still be an interesting talk as the, as the Steelers are kind of in a, in a limbo zone. Yeah, they're in a transitional period. So what do you want to start with them? Yeah, let's start with the Steelers. Okay, great. Uh, why don't you tell me what grade you gave their offense? Okay, so their offense, I gave a C. Uh, and I honestly thought this might have been a little bit generous because of expectations coming into the year. Uh, what did you give them? Yeah, no, I, I gave them a D. Um, and I wasn't even sure if, like at first, actually, I was going to give them around a C. And then I thought one expectations wise, and then I just looked a little bit deeper into the numbers, specifically their run game, which I think I'll talk about now. And it was just all a lot uglier than I thought, I think, at first glance, because we all know that Ben Roethlisberger's arm was dead and how that warped the offense, right? Like they couldn't attack deep. They couldn't attack the middle of the field. It was really difficult for them. We know that. But what was quietly one of their bigger problems was their run game. Because I feel like they could have gotten away with a limited passing game if they could force teams to respect the run. And instead, they were 30th in rush DVOA. And I think that this was caused by an old, slow offensive line. And then having running backs that were less than superstars and a run design that was not particularly interesting or innovative. And that was really concerning because the Steelers have consistently been a strong power running game behind an excellent offensive line for years. And it seems like that era is coming to an end. Yeah, and even like last year, they kind of got by with James Conner. They, they weren't great, but they were, they were middle of the pack. They weren't terrible. And now they really took a step off the cliff. James Conner, obviously now a Cardinal. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with, with Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, uh, one other guy. What, what's the other guy's name? Anthony McFarland. Anthony McFarland, that's all, that's the other one that you like coming out of the draft. Yeah, very, very athletic. He's got some speed, but very, very unpolished. So maybe he'll have yeah. a chance if he can refine his technique to take the job over the offseason. And the Pittsburgh offensive line, like they were they were pretty solid in pass protection. They gave Ben enough time to to do big big Ben things, which were which weren't phenomenal this year. And uh they they definitely weren't actively bad in, in pass protection. On the other hand, their run blocking was atrocious. They didn't open up any holes for James Conner. And we've mentioned that it doesn't the running back is not what determines the success of the running game. While it does, it is a factor, it is much more the system and the offensive line. And that was a problem this year for the Steelers. Absolutely. And it's going to continue to be a problem for them this coming year because um, their offensive line is going to need a massive reboot, even beyond what was a bad unit last year because Alejandro Villanueva is gone. Uh, he's a free agent right now. I don't expect him to come back. Matt Filer's definitely gone. He signed with the Los Angeles Chargers, and he may have been their best offensive lineman last year. Marquise Pouncey retired, their longtime center. And David Castro has gotten very old. His PFF grade this past year uh, was the lowest it's been since his rookie year. So basically, all of the old guard is aging out, and they need to find a way to completely rebuild that offensive line on the fly with limited cap room. And I'm dubious about whether they can do it. Yeah, while also figuring out their quarterback situation. Because you got to think, this has got to be Big Ben's last ride. And I don't know why they, they're doing it. I guess because of nostalgia or something. But you're getting to that point where you have to consider maybe tearing stuff down because that offensive front and that old quarterback is not going to do you any good this year. Yeah, so talking about the path forward, I think we can wait. Hold on to just for a little bit longer. Um, let's get to the offseason outlook when we talk about that. But I do think that is a very, very important discussion at this point for the Steelers. Talking about their defense, you know, the complete offset of their offense because yeah, they're talking off- about a stark contrast. 
yeah, man, their defense was so good. They were rushing five guys on almost every snap, and all of them were capable of winning one-on-ones, which just made it impossible for offenses to block their defensive line. And then in the secondary, this was what I was actually a little bit more interested by because their their talent on the defensive line was outrageous. Pretty much anyone could see that they were probably going to have some success there, and they were probably better than we expected. They got career seasons out of guys like Tyson Aluwalu. But in the secondary, what was interesting is that they definitely had less talent. They had added Minka Fitzpatrick the year before, and they drafted Terrell Edmonds with the first round pick, but otherwise, probably a less talented unit. And they were pretty impressive. And I think that that was boosted by the pass rush, which is why, uh, just swinging it around to like niche NFL Twitter debates, the whole pass rush versus sec- uh, secondary debate is so hard to quantify because they clearly affect each other so much that it's just important to get one. Yeah, when I thought of comparing this defense to any other defense in the league, I, I instantly thought of the Washington football team. Their their secondary was, was made up of not the most impressive guys, not not people that were historically uh, some of the better corners in the league or even any of the of the best safeties in the league. But that pass rush was so lethal that it allowed for them to shine. And I think that happened with the Steelers as well. And that's why, as I gave the Washington football team an A+, I think it's only fair to give the Steelers an A+. Because they were very similar offensive, uh, defensive. I gave them an A. One, because I've only given one A+, and that was to the Packers offense. And I don't really expect to give anyone else an A+. But also because I thought that the Steelers defense fell off a little bit. Just a little bit. Not so much that it wasn't a top unit in the league, but a slight... Uh, step back, which really mattered when their offense couldn't pick up any of the slack. And part of the reason for that, I think, was Devin Bush getting injured, which honestly, I'd forgotten about until I started looking back on this team, which is why I think these recaps and these report cards are so useful. But he tore his ACL in the middle of the season, and that really hurt the middle of their defense. He looked like he was right on the verge of taking that next step, similar to how Devin White did, actually. And so that's a real shame. He's going to be a really critical piece to uh, helping that defense maybe, which I don't think it's possible, but maybe at least hold their level, maybe improve. Yeah, it's crazy that you say they took a step back and they were still first in defensive DVOA. TJ Watt is the best non-Aaron Donald defensive player in the NFL. I, I think, uh, I would or at least with thinking that. Miles Garrett, like uh, he's on he's on that top tier with with the non-Aaron Aaron Donalds because he's on his own tier. But yeah, the tier is essentially, I think for me at least, it's. Aaron Donald, then Miles Garrett and TJ Watt in the same tier. And then Jalen Ramsey is honestly almost on Aaron Donald's tier. It's just very, it's much harder to see yeah, what it, he's doing because it's totally different positions. And also the better numbers for cornerbacks are when there's less stats. So it, it's it's yeah. hard to compare. Um, but anyways, he's incredible. And uh, the, the fact that they were so good on an AFC team and they still were, weren't able to, to do anything, just kind of shows how poor their offense was, at least on the stretch. And even with the good wide receivers that they had, they weren't able to, to put up any points to help out their defense, and that was a problem. For coaching, I gave them a B plus because oh, Mike Tomlin... Yeah, I wasn't really sure where to go with this one, and I thought that B plus was somewhat appropriate, although maybe it could be a little bit lower. Keith Butler had a pretty easy job because there was just so much talent on that defense that he basically had to let these guys, like, just let their talent run. Um, That wasn't really what I I was super impressed by. What I was interested by, I'm not going to say super impressed, was what Matt Canada did as their quarterback coach. Um, He definitely made a mark on their offense. He's known for using a lot of motion, a lot of pre-snap disguises, and it's it remains to be seen how effective all of that was and how comfortable Big Ben is using all of that, but he's going to be their offensive coordinator this coming season, which is why it should be really interesting to see what that offense looks like. Yeah, I give them a C because uh, Mike Tomlin didn't bring anything that I wasn't expecting. He obviously led the team to a bunch of wins. He got them what the, the, the morale they needed. I thought that their defense was whatever. I really thought that Randy Fickner, Randy was a problem. Uh, I thought that um, he he was probably one of the least uh, like creative offensive coordinators in the league in terms of going by the book and trick plays. They never brought out anything special to to kind of give Big Ben a break. As not not saying that he deserved one because he didn't do anything to show that. But their offense is so stacked at wide receiver that you want to see them bring out new formations and new 
types of offense, and they just never innovated. And I think that that's one of the worst things you can do as offensive coordinator. It, we'll see what Matt Canada can do. Yeah, it should be an interesting year. Matt Canada isn't known to stick around and log at jobs. He comes from the college ranks. So I'm going to be curious to see how long he stays in Pittsburgh. He has a fantastic name, though. Yes. Moving on to rookies. Adam, what grade did you give the rookies? I actually gave them a B plus. Uh, I wasn't. I, I was actually pretty fond of their um, of their picks. They didn't have a first. So this is another one off of expectations. It probably could have been a little bit lower, but they didn't have a first round pick, and they still managed to get uh, Chase Claypool, which was a steal. Obviously, in a very stacked uh, rookie wide receiver class, there were still some bad selections earlier on that we've mentioned many a times over over this over this year. So I don't want to bring them up again. Jalen Rager. Cough. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Eagles fans. Uh, you obviously, I don't think he needed the cough for you guys to know we were talking about you, though. Yeah. Uh, and and um, Alex Highsmith actually played better than I thought he would as the number 102 overall pick. He had a 72 PFF grade, which was pretty solid. And I, I think that I think that they did pretty well with their draft. Yeah, I was actually a little bit more bullish than you were. I gave them an A minus actually because I loved Alex Highsmith coming into the draft. Um, and he really, really impressed uh, down the stretch after Bud Dupree got hurt. He flashed some nasty moves. Uh, his spin move in particular was really impressive for a rookie coming out of Charlotte. So low level college competition. His ability to take that jump was very surprising, I think, for his first year at the very least. And it bodes well because he's going to play a big role this coming year. Chase Claypool, obviously, we all know he was impressive. And I, I'm curious because basically he got most of his production on either screens or just deep balls, like deep goes down the sideline because Ben wasn't able to throw anything else. So if they had a more effective vertical offense, I think he would be devastating. And I hope he gets that. I hope he gets that chance at some point in his career. I'm guessing it's not going to happen this season. And then the final rookie that I don't think you mentioned um, that I was impressed by was Kevin Dotson, their fourth round rookie, who was a good pass blocker and played a decent amount of games at guard last year for them and is expected to start at left guard this year. So getting that sort of value in the fourth round is really important when, as we said, it's going to be hard for them to rebuild their offensive line. Yeah, and and I think there are arguments that could be made that it, that it is definitely an A. Uh, I just think overall it wasn't as like impressive as some of the other A rookie classes that we've mentioned, but still very solid for what they were given. Uh, Chase Claypool definitely has the talent, at least, to become like a top 15 wide receiver in the league, top 10 maybe. Uh, it's just, will they be able to use him effectively enough to be able to reach that potential? Let's move it along to vibes where I gave them a B minus. I was actually struggling with this one, which totally subjective category. So I don't know why I just started thinking about Deontay Johnson's Deontay Johnson's drops, which was one of the most painful storylines to watch because he came into, man, I don't remember what game, but it was like what week, but it was against the bills. He came into that bills game with the drops already being a storyline and then went out there and dropped like two passes on the first drive. And that, that was painful to watch because the Steelers really needed him, especially given what their offense turned out to be. His ability to break tackles was better than anyone else's on the team. Um, and he just couldn't hold on to the ball. He had, I think 15 drops, which is ridiculous, like absolutely yeah. crazy. I gave them a C plus. Uh, so I think the first half of their season, that that period of, of, Ultimate Utopia when they won their first 12 games. Uh, that, that was some of the better vibes in the league. You had people dancing on logos. You had uh, the, the energy was clearly at an all time high. But as soon as they lost their first game, they just deflated everything, all the energy that they had going into it, just completely gone. They looked like a whole new team. And it just, it really, so I, I went, it went from an A to an E. So I balanced it out with the C. I thought that. They were they were so much fun to watch. They just got to keep the mentality throughout the losses, and that's just a tough thing to do with so many young guys on their offense. Okay, so finally, offseason outlook, where I'll just start you off with the guys that they lost and the guys that they added. Um, one list is longer than the other, as you'll <laughs> soon see. They lost Bud Dupree, Matt Filer, Mike Hilton, Steven Nelson, Alejandro Villanueva, and Marquise Pouncey, and James Conner. And they added Joe Haig and BJ Finney, which there's a difference between those lists. And yep. for an old team, 
that's not a good sign. Like it's not like they had to fill one or two holes. This is this is going to be rough. I was not a fan of their offseason. I gave them a D plus for offseason outlook, and I can explain why in a bit. But also, just finally, I, I did say additions. They brought back a couple of players. Most obviously, Ben Roethlisberger, as you noted. And the problem there was that they just didn't have a choice because if he chose not to retire, they were going to be paying him in a ridiculous amount of money in a, in a year with a shrunken cap. So they had to pay him and give him a smaller extension. They just didn't have a choice. And then they also brought back a little bit more surprisingly, Juju Smith-Schuster, who took less money to sign with the Steelers. I was surprised by that. Can we talk about that for a second? Juju Smith-Schuster passed up more money to go to the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, to rejoin the Steelers for less money and worse opportunity. I just don't understand. Like, he's throwing away future money by doing this, too. It's not just this year. It's all the years that he could have increased his value with a better team. I I don't get it. So I I would thought that at first, and I might not totally fall in line with that school of thought, just because if you look at Kansas City, their offense is stacked. I mean, like, you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, who are always going to be the main targets. That makes him the third receiver and the third receiving option when in Pittsburgh, especially when they're focusing on short throws over the middle sometimes, but short throws a lot for pretty much any time that's not first down. That means that he's going to be probably the top receiving target, especially if Deontay Johnson can't hold onto the ball. And that volume leads to opportunity, even if his um, average depth of target is going to be like five yards, which is ridiculous. That's what it was this past year. So I very much did see the downsides. And I think he just liked Pittsburgh. But there is a little bit of justification to betting on himself in Pittsburgh. That's fair. And I guess there's also things like housing, like he set up his family in Pittsburgh and loyalty issues. But if if I'm Juju Smith-Schuster, I'm a ring chaser. I'm going for that. I'm going for that ring. I'm going to Kansas City. If, If they can stay healthy, then it's pretty much guaranteed. So it's it's a tough thing to pass on, but I guess I can kind of understand where he's coming from. I think he's a little young to ring chase, so I'd be more offended by passing up the money, which was greater in Kansas City. But moving on to the final two players who they uh, kept, Tyson Aluolu, who I didn't realize that they'd kept until today, who apparently changed his mind and decided not to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars at the last minute. And then Cameron Sutton, which was a good move. The rest of them, less defensible, I'd say. And it leaves them in a bad position. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. I think you're almost at that point where you kind of break everything down. I think you're, if, if it's me, first of all, I'm, I'm doing it. But it's a tough thing to do, uh, obviously, with, with so many big names on your roster. But there's just so little to work with in, in, in Pittsburgh. And having a good quarterback is so important. And they just don't have that. Or the, the room to get one. They have huge needs all along pretty much the entire offensive line. Uh, probably running back, linebacker, because even with Devin Bush back, they cut Avery Williamson and Vince Williams, so they need a second linebacker and cornerback because their top outside cornerback is Joe Hayden, who's going to be 32, and they don't really have anyone across from him. Is Cameron Sutton not an outside corner? He played, I think, half of his cornerback snaps in the slot last year, so I expect him to play, actually, maybe even a little bit more slot with Mike Hilton gone. So were they know. running on Mike Hilton and uh, uh, Cameron Apparently. Sutton slot corner? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know entirely how that worked. But they have all these needs, and they don't really have that much capital to fill them with. So here's my question. I think that we have the same answer, but will the Pittsburgh Steelers be better in 2021? Or do they even have an ability to do so? Or will they just be a slightly older version of last year's team? <sighs> It's, it's got to be the latter. I, I don't see any way that these guys improve, especially because they've done so little to show why they improve, unless they have one of the most shockingly impressive draft classes that turn around their, their team, which I think is their last hope at this point. It's going to be a bloodbath, and they have so many holes that they need to fill. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough because, obviously, uh, Mike Tomlin's going to somehow manage to get them a 9-8 and eight record somehow. And it's it's gonna it's gonna be a tough tough year. I noticed you using the seventeen game schedule. <laughs> Impressive. I, <laughs> I haven't you, even fully adjusted mentally to that. <laughs> but let's move on. What team do you want to talk about next? Well, I think while we're on depressing teams, we should just get them out of the way. Let's go with the Bengals next. Okay, so if we're going to the Bengals, we'll do this a little bit more quickly. Probably focusing on the more important parts that are 
more applicable to this year, starting with the offense, which I don't, I I had trouble grading them actually. It's kind of like the Cowboys. Sort of, sort of. I gave them a C and I just decided to actually just disregard everything after Joe Burrow's injury because he played enough that I thought that was a representative sample. And so, like, at the very least, the one thing the Bengals got from this year is that Joe Burrow looks like he'll be at least an above average quarterback. His processing. Yeah, I I have concerns about his ability to take that next step, which I've referenced before in regards to his arm strength. And I don't really know if arm strength can be improved. For most quarterbacks, that's just a natural thing that they have or they don't have. But his processing is maybe one of the best in the league already, like top three in the league already. And his throws just have to be perfectly timed, or if not, they're going to get batted away because he doesn't have such a strong of an arm. But he's shown the ability to be perfectly on time in sync with all of his receivers, and with a better offensive line, he can be really, really good. Yeah, and it, obviously that injury was awful. Uh, nothing you want to see, but it was not surprising in the slightest. We've, we saw, we had been talking about it for weeks before it happened. It was, it was only a matter of time with how little protection he was getting, and that's why I also gave their offense a C. While Joe Burrow was fantastic, you can't get over that. Like You can't put your, your star guy in that position where he's running away from every snap and it, and it makes it hard to judge him. Like you can't grade someone when they're throwing the ball on the run, every play, it it, kind of makes it tough. So uh, I give them a C also kind of like a question mark. Don't really know how it would have been if you played all 16 games. Also, it wasn't going to happen though, because of how little protection he was getting. The one thing we could judge from him was his pocket presence, which immediately had to be perfect and it was it was he's so good at every part of the game that isn't necessarily just hucking bombs downfield he's not a great deep passer yet but like everything else is there at such a high level talk about throwing someone in the deep end (laughs) (laughs) jeez so moving on to their defense where i have so little to say i I just wanted to you know we've done this a couple times just want to give props to jesse bates who is so so good and one of the you mean their secondary what Jesse Bates is their secondary. That's, oh, yeah. He, that's yeah. It. Yeah. No, that he really is. I mean, he is one of the few true single high safeties who can get anywhere on the field that are left in the league. Like that style of play just doesn't exist very often anymore. Earl Thomas is one of the good examples you can come up with, but it's so hard to find those guys with the range and the instincts. And he is that, even though he's languishing in obscurity in Cincinnati, he is that good. Yeah. In terms of like players being valuable to their teams. He's got to be up there with some of the most important in the league. He does everything on the field whenever he needs to, and he makes players like William Jackson not look that bad. And it's it's impressive, but it's also kind of depressing to see how little attention he gets around the NFL. I mean, I wouldn't say William Jackson is that bad. I would say that like their second cornerback might be, and I don't even know who their second cornerback is. Probably Drake or Patrick. That dude is everywhere. He was in Arizona last year, but I'm not sure. I think. Anyways, let's move on from their defense, which I don't think I mentioned, but I gave them a D minus because it was it was give them a D. Yeah, because I don't want to think about it that much. Fair enough. Another thing that you don't want to think about much, and I think that a lot of people have forgotten about, is their coaching, which I gave it another D minus because yeah, I give a D minus for this one. Quick game, Adam. Someone who I had never heard of until today when I was doing my research. Oh, God. Name the Bengals defensive coordinator. I resign. I forfeit. I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't even give you a letter. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. I was I, I, I had to look it up to see if he was our defensive coordinator last year because I just assumed I knew at least who all the coordinators were. This is Lou Anarumo. Okay. Sounds like a disease. Yeah, something you, something you get when you're traveling through the Amazon. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. I, I, re- I really don't know what Zach Taylor is supposed to bring to the Bengals. Because it's not like their offense was particularly interesting. And he's not regarded as a good game manager. Frankly, if this was any other organization, he'd already be fired. But because the Brown family doesn't like to fire... Bengal. No, no, no. The Brown family are the owners of the Bengals. Oh, I'm... Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, because they don't like to fire coaches. That's why Marvin Lewis got so many years. And for the record, Marvin Lewis was a good coach, but other franchises might have moved on with the lack of playoff success. He's still around. And even with that 
ridiculous amount of slack that he's gotten, I think this is a make or break year for him, and I expect him to break. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he brings anything to the table that's shown that he can turn around this franchise. I think there's not too many coaches in the league that can turn around this franchise. They gotta. It's really it's gotta be around protecting Joe Burrow because that's their only shot. They gotta build around him. He is he is the Bengals now, at least on offense. And if he isn't protected, then Zach Taylor isn't protected either, and he will be gone. What grade did you give their rookie class? I give them an A plus. Whoa. Okay. I thought that this was probably like obviously they 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 knocked it out of the park. They picked the perfect number one overall pick. I didn't I think that uh Joe Burrow is the only guy that could possibly have the Bengals having any hope heading into the future. And okay, I think but that, I'm not gonna give them any credit for picking Joe Burrow. Okay, I'll give I'll knock it down to pick. an A. I'll knock it down to an A. Yeah, it's it's just also, like Everyone knew that whoever was at number one was going to pick Burrow. Sure. Okay. So I'll knock him down to an A. But also, Joe Burrow was great. But T. Higgins was also a very, very impressive pick. At 33rd overall, with so many wide receivers going off the board early, you had the pick from that second tier, and they got the best one. He, well, I guess maybe Claypool could be argued as, as the best one too. But still, incredibly underrated season. It didn't matter what quarterback was there. He produced on the struggling offense. And I think that looking into the future, T Higgins and Joe Burrow, that, that chemistry is going to be so important for this franchise. And while they might not see too much success, at least they have something to look forward to on Sundays to watch. And that that's, that's about all you can hope for as a Bengals fan. I love T Higgins. He's one of those big body receivers who seems like he'll be the successor to AJ green. He was significantly outplaying him by the end of last year. And he's already developed a good chemistry with Joe Burrow, which is important because Burrow thrives in those scramble drills and Higgins did a nice job on those. Beyond that, they didn't really get that much out of their rookie class. I mean, they picked two linebackers in the third round, Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, who were typical rookie linebackers. So plenty of mistakes, but also not total disasters, not too much else. So I gave them a B plus on the strength of Burrow and Higgins, but... I couldn't really give them that much more because one of the picks was self-explanatory and the Higgins pick was legitimately good for a player who I actually wasn't that sold on coming into the league. Yeah, I was actually pretty disappointed with the pick when it happened. I thought that they could have gotten a little more value, but he proved me wrong. Uh, they had a great connection. It'll be interesting to see how how they are actually going to perform now that T. Higgins has had a whole season at wide receiver and Joe Burrow is back healthy. Because before... I'm not saying that they didn't have a great connection, but they didn't really have that star connection. But maybe with both of them healthy and a little bit of experience under their belt, they'll be able to show up. Yep. At Vibes, I gave them a C- minus because if Purgatory was a team, it has to be the Bengals. Like, there just isn't any other team in the league that really compares to the level of... I don't have a good single word for it, but lack of interestingness. Yeah, mediocrity, uh, sure. just blandness. They're they're kind of like they're they're too they're like the good line. Like uh, it's so hard to compare them to anyone else because they're so unique in the fact that they're so boring. I guess I guess the Lions are, are kind of similar. Well, the Lions are a solid cop, but at the same time, like I don't forget about the Lions. Maybe because they're on Thanksgiving, but like I generally don't forget about the Lions. I forget that the Bengals exist routinely for stretches at a time. Yeah, the only thing that kept it up is Joe Burrow, and I think that they got lucky to be number one in the draft class where a guy like that was available. So they got to take advantage of that, and if not, they will continue to be the the C-tier forgotten about Bengals. Off-season outlook to wrap up the Bengals. What grade did you give them? I gave them a D plus. I was not impressed with their off-season. Okay, I gave them a I gave them a C minus, which was I guess a little bit more slightly more optimistic, and I think that's I mean a lot they're basically it. the same grade. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it comes down to that number five overall pick, which we'll get to in one second. But first, just to go over who they lost and who they added, they lost William Jackson the third, Mackenzie Alexander, Carl Lawson, AJ Green, and Randy Bullock, and then they added Trey Hendrickson, Riley Rife, Mike Hilton, Chidobia Wuzier. I don't think they came out on the winning end of those transactions. I think that 
as bad as their team was last year, most of those guys were the few good players who they probably should have kept around. But that's the decisions they made. They still have $23 million left in cap space, so maybe they'll make one or two other moves. If there's any free agent offensive linemen on the market that they like, I would love if they went for it because any, any even just depth, even if they don't think that they'll be a great starter, would be good to have. Yeah, I was very, very, very disappointed with the Bengals for not going for one of those A-tier offensive linemen that went early on in free agency. I thought that they at least had to get one of them, and they got Riley Reef, which... He well, he's not bad. He's not on that same level as some of those Joe Thunies, uh, Lindsay, Lindsley's. It, it was just something that they needed. Like they rehired uh, Pollock, I think his name is, who is their offensive line coach in 2018, to run that offensive line. So they're completely revamping it. They're trying to find something there. I just really think that they needed that one guy to lead that to lead that group. And they just didn't go after it. And they left all this money for late on in free agency, which isn't as effective. I'd agree with most of that. But the defining question of their offseason is what they do with the number five overall pick. And the top two options, what people decide, what people assume the decision will be between is Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU, and Panay Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon, which I have my answer. But Adam, who do you think they should take? Well, I think that they are in a very, very good spot. And in such a deep quarterback draft class, it's pretty much, like, I don't want to say guaranteed. It's very uh, highly, like, it's, it's, there's a high chance that four quarterbacks go before them, if not three in Kyle Pitts, which could happen. I think that the Bengals need to take advantage of the position and draft best available, and that is Panay Sewell. They didn't, they didn't take one of the offensive linemen. They didn't go for one of the offensive linemen early in free agency, which leads me to think that this has to be their plan. If not, I think that Joe Burrow is going to have a rough time next year. Yeah, I think this is an easy decision. I think you've got to go with Panay Sewell. There's some question marks about how Jamar Chase translates to the league. I think he'll be good, but at the same time, there are not there's none of those questions with Sewell, and they just desperately need more help on the offensive line than they do a wide receiver. One of, I think, my favorite players on the Bengals, I haven't even mentioned so far, Tyler Boyd, who is one of the better slot receivers in the league. Um, and I really enjoy watching him. So the, I just don't think they need that much help at wide receiver. And you can't throw to Jamar Chase downfield if Joe Burrow doesn't have enough time for him to get open. Because as quite a few people have pointed out, the idea of a wide receiver getting open faster doesn't make any sense. Like wide receivers have routes. They get open at a specific time. All the receivers get to there at the same time. Some are better at the catch point. Some are better creating a little bit of separation, but that's not how it works. So if you don't protect Joe Burrow, he'll never be able to throw to his receivers. And also, when you look at tiers, Panesul's and Rashawn Slater are on their own tier of offensive, of offensive linemen. Uh, Sewell's on his own, you could argue, but like the one-two, they're the one-two. And then when you look at wide receivers, we saw last year, wide receiver classes are getting deeper and deeper, and you can get some star wide receivers at 38th pick if that's really what you want to do with your pick. And so so I would say it's it's got to be offensive line there, and then you can worry about wide receivers later on in the draft. Their other two options are drafting Kyle Pitts or trading back. And actually, personally, I would rather take Kyle Pitts than Jamar Chase if they want a pass catcher. Having or Having a tight end who can catch that well and we haven't gone to our draft stuff yet, but we will talk about it in a few weeks. He is one of the most ridiculous receivers I've ever seen. And having a tight end who can do the stuff that he can is a bigger matchup problem than just having a great wide receiver. And their current tight end is Drew Sample. I think that that is a bigger upgrade than Jamar Chase over Auden Tate. And then the other option, which I think also does make a lot of sense, trading back could happen because their roster is pretty barren the capital that they get from trading back into the early teens or even number nine would be really important for addressing multiple needs. I don't know. Do you think that either of those options are a good idea? Personally, if I'm the Bengals, I take Panay Sewell here and call it a day. But I guess trading back out of those two options is definitely a little more appealing to me for the same reason as you gave for not drafting Jamar Chase. You're not going to have time to throw the Kyle Pitts. It's not like it's nothing against Kyle Pitts. I think he's probably one of the most talented players in the in the draft. I'm a Falcons fan. I obviously have heard a lot about him recently. 
I, as much as I think he's one of the more talented players, you've got to go for, for needs here and for building a team in the future. And just if you, if you want a solid offense, you need time. And I think Panace will bring you that. Great. I think we're moving on to the Cleveland Browns now, right? Sure. Okay. And we will get to our final grades for each team at the end because we forgot during the flow of it. So we'll just get to it at the end. We've done that before. Going to the Browns, I gave them an A- minus for offense. Baker Mayfield was good in structure. I've talked plenty about him, and I think I'm actually going to just let that be for right now. I've made my thoughts on him clear. But their offensive line was really was really just the turning point for that offense because they jumped to being top five in the league. The Browns turned Wyatt Teller from an athlete with potential to one of the best run-blocking guards in the league. And then adding Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills at their tackle spots was just a lifesaver for Baker Mayfield and their offense. There's just no holes on that line, which made them one of the more dominant units in the league. Yeah, I give them an A just because of how much we appreciate good offensive lines on this podcast. It's so strong to have five guys throughout who are who are in. We, it's crazy because we go from talking about the Steelers and the Bengals to the Browns, who in past years, this would have been two decent offensive lines to a bad one. But now it's completely flipped. The Browns are, are, are scary. They're a scary team, especially with all these new acquisitions that we'll get to later um, this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns were another AFC team that were making a push for the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I agree. Just one final note. Nick Chubb is outrageously good. Yeah, he runs insane. like a tank. It was the only description I could come up with. Like Maybe like a charging rhino. He runs so low to the ground that everyone bounces off of him, and his balance is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I love watching And, and also, he does have a very, very, very good offensive line. Yeah, I know. He just bursts through those, you know, <laughs> like locomotive-sized holes that they open up for him. But he's very yeah. good, too. Their defense, on the other hand, was really the fatal flaw of this team. And I may have actually been too lenient in giving them a C-. minus. You might have been a little harsher. I did it mostly based off of expectations because even before two of their starters in the secondary got injured during the preseason, their defense was already not expected to be that good. And so from there on out, they just didn't have that much of a shot. But it was not it was not a good look. Um, I was a little lower on them than you were. I gave them a D. When you have a, a pretty solid offense and you're giving up like 30, 40 points every game, it feels like you're not going to win games. And there's, there's just too many holes. There was just too many holes on that defense last year, which I think they've done a good job of plugging up this offseason. It was basically Miles Garrett and friends. Like, it, it, was, it was not fun to watch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We can keep it going and moving on to coaching, where I had to give them an A. I can't imagine yeah, giving them anything else. A. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski brought in that Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan scheme, and it fit perfectly because it made Baker Mayfield an, effect, an efficient quarterback and it maximized their run game at the same time, which is basically all you can ask out of him. Yeah, wow. It must be hard for you to talk all this about Baker Mayfield being an effective quarterback. I said efficient, not good. He can be efficient <laughs> without having done anything impressive that uh, Kevin Stefanski didn't just scheme straight up for him. If, if you're new to this podcast, Josh is not nearly as high on Baker Mayfield as everyone else seems to be. Yeah, no, I, I will... I, I did this with Josh Allen. It didn't work. I am drawing the line in the sand again. For the record, I'm not in the same boat as I was with Josh Allen, where I said he couldn't improve. It was too late. I think Baker Mayfield can improve, given the strides he took last year. I just don't think he was actually good last year, which is what everyone was claiming. Also, yeah. if I see someone post one of those clips of him throwing the ball out of the back of the end zone at the end of the half again and say he had like the longest throw in recorded NFL history, I'm going to lose my mind. I will. Oh, my God, I'm going to snap. Any quarterback can do that if they get the right situation. He was throwing a Hail Mary with no pass rushers. I go a little bit closer to the edge every time I see that. Yeah, that, it, that, those are the most frustrating. When, when, they, when they put these stamps on these players for all these different records that are just completely circumstantial, like, oh, wow. He kicked a 70-yard field goal. Well, how many 70-yard field goals have been attempted by, by kickers in the past? It's like, sure, it's a fantastic, but come on. Let, let's be realistic here. It's, ne it's, never, it's never something that's based on skill. It's a lot of circumstance. 
one spot where the Browns, actually another spot, I guess, where the Browns, I would say uh, nailed it is a little bit harder. They nailed their first round pick. The rest of it is definitely more up for debate is their rookie class, which I had a hard time grading. So Adam, I think that you can help me make my decision. What grade did you give them? I give them a B just because I love their first pick. But then after that, eh, it, it really was, was just boring. No, nothing, nothing like that brought my attention. I can't give them too much slack for picking Grant Delpit. I think that was a fantastic pick at that position. I was surprised he fell that far on draft day. Injuries, you can't really do much about that. And the rest of the draft just was pretty mediocre overall. They had some – they had a – what was that? Uh, it was Rashad Higgins. He's not a rookie, the, He's not a no. – who am I thinking of? Yes, you're thinking of Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones. One of your yes, favorite Donovan guys. Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember his name. The University of Michigan, uh, the killer. Uh, I, I thought I thought he was. He this was is how you know that we're recording late at night. Adam doesn't remember yeah. Donovan Peoples Jones. <laughs> DPJ. I thought he had a fantastic year. Uh, I just thought that it was, the rest of the draft was pretty boring. Not much. Not much else to say. I think they could have done better. Uh, Grant Delpit's injury kind of brought it down, though. I'd agree with all of that. I was debating between a B minus and a C plus, and I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go C plus because. Jedrick Wills was a great pick. The only downside there really was that they could have had Tristan Wirfs, who was probably better. No, who's definitely mm-hmm. better, but Wills is still very good. The one rookie that you didn't mention that I liked was Harrison Bryant, who's currently right. their third tight end behind um, Austin Hooper and David Njoku. So hopefully he'll get more opportunities. I keep forgetting that Njoku is still on the Browns. Me too. I looked him up and people were like, he was solid as a third, as a third tight end. <laughs> I was like, behind who? <laughs> I, I just keep thinking that he's going to be traded because he, he hasn't he complained about that in the past? I thought he'd been traded like three times in the past two <laughs> years. Too. So I thought he was like a traveler. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he was still on the Browns. I, I don't really get that, but I mean, whatever. Um, the more the merrier. You're not paying him too much money, so it's not that big a deal. Exactly. Their vibes. This was one of the easiest picks on the entire board because they got Cleveland to the playoffs for the first time since 2002. They are legends yeah. forever. Every single person on this team gets an A. Yeah, and and just then the entire energy from coming from Cleveland was so fun to watch. Very similar to the LeBron energy that he brought. Just so it, it's it's just been such a boring team and such a like a, a dark spot in the NFL for so long that seeing like that brightness coming off of the off of the young players finally not you're finally not basing your like as much as I love Joe Thomas, him being the face of the organization is not a good look. And it, it's it's a good young core, and they have a hope for the future. And the Browns are finally not the worst team. The factory of sadness has been lit up, which is nice to see. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. Finally, the offseason outlook, which was again another thing that they nailed. Just this organization is so well run. Like the Jets, who seem to be well run for now, it's very disorienting to see this, but. They lost a decent amount of players, but none of them of significant importance. So Olivier Vernon, Kendall Lamb, Larry Ogunjobi, Terrence Mitchell, Andrew Sandejo. None they of lost Ogunjobi? I thought they resigned yeah. him. As of right now, according to Over the Cap, he was a free agent, but they might have resigned him, and I, I might have missed that. So why don't you check that um, in the meantime? Oh, no, he's on the Bengals now. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay, so he stayed in the division. I knew I read about him in this, but uh, I guess I mixed up the teams. They added significantly better players, though, at pretty much all of those positions. They added Jadevian Clowney, who that deal hasn't been finalized, and I'm curious to see what the money looks like, but it seems like he'll be signing there. Troy Hill and John Johnson, both from the Rams, who we've talked about. We both love those signings. Tack McKinley and Anthony Walker. And they just did such a good job of addressing their needs, which is what I was. Yeah, really I, impressed I by. give them an A plus because I don't think they could have done better. Uh, wow. I think that they they hit all their needs. Uh, I I'm I am waiting to see the money on Jadavian Clowney though because I think that could be a, a poor signing, at least. But I mean, it doesn't hurt, and that's the thing that that's that's good about that. You have you have the room to be able to make that signing with safety. It's just it, it really comes down to the money there and. That might determine whether it fluctuates down to like an A or an A minus. Yeah, if they give him more than five million dollars, I'd be I'd be concerned at that point. But if it's around there or less, 
I think it's just a fantastic deal with all upside because you put him and McKinley, who are both extremely talented edge rushers, who are both going to be guaranteed to get one-on-ones because of Miles Garrett on the other side of that line and just give them a chance to blossom and hope that one of them works. Maybe even they put one of them on the interior so that all three of those guys can be on the field at the same time. All of these are great options, and I think it gives their defensive line new ways to attack the passer, which they just didn't have last year, which is great. And then, obviously, the John Johnson signing was one of the biggest signings of the offseason for them because last year, among other holes on their defense, which were significant, they had a huge hole at safety because Delpit went down. And when Andrew Sandejo is playing all year for you, it's not a good sign. And John Johnson is, as I've talked about, the perfect scheme fit. So they know he's going to fit there because, or at least they can very reasonably assume that he's going to fit there because he played almost the same role in Los Angeles. Yeah, you didn't bring up Carl Joseph, but yeah, you pretty much hit every point there. Uh, <laughs> I think out of all the out of all the offseason signings though, um, that we've talked about, it was probably John Johnson that we've talked about the most. So I think we can leave this one uh, as is and move on to the last team of the division. Very quickly, last question about their offseason. Will Odell Beckham Jr. be traded, and should they? No, I don't think he will. And I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in his prime, because obviously prime Odell was a different beast. But I do think he brings some, I don't know how to say this. Juice. Yeah, some juice, some unexpectedness um, to to this offense, which is pretty boring without him. And obviously Stefanski can start to go crazy with him have him running end arounds and going for 50 yard touchdowns. It's just, he brings a new element to that offense and he, there's no point in trading him. If I'm not. I think he comes back too because I'd be surprised if they got a good enough offer for him, especially in a strong receiver class. I don't think anyone would want to give up that much to get him when he's been extremely, extremely inconsistent for pretty much the last three years running, I think. So I don't expect him to move, but there have been rumors of that happening. Yeah. But, As you mentioned, we are moving on to the final team in the division, which is the Baltimore Ravens. One of my favorite teams, again, because of their uniforms, like the purple uniforms. Yeah, big purple guy. Um, Apparently. But but one thing I I was also a big fan of was their offense this year because they were a lot of fun to watch. I'm not saying that they were like uh, a very, very, very good offense because their passing game was was lackluster. But I'm, I'm definitely more of a running guy. I do prefer uh, an efficient run game, and when it's uh, when it's like done correctly, when the coaches set up runs that that work, I think that that's the most beautiful. T- that's the most beautiful football, in my opinion. And uh, that that trio of Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, and Mark Ingram was just so much fun to watch. I still gave it a B because obviously the passing game had a lot to be desired, but their their running was was incredible. I gave them a B too, but for slightly different reasons, similar reasons, but their run game was one of the best in the league, of course, but it wasn't far and away the best like they were in 2019, which definitely hurt them because their passing game was where they took the biggest step back, obviously. So I talked earlier in the year about how it seemed like Lamar Jackson wasn't scrambling for as big chunks of yards. And I went back, I ran the numbers. um, And as it turns out, In 2019, he averaged 10.1 yards per scramble, and in 2020, he averaged 7.2 yards per scramble. He actually earned almost half as many EPA scrambling in 2020 uh, than he did in 2019. So some interesting numbers to confirm what I'd already been thinking. And then their offensive line was just a big issue because they couldn't get consistent center play all year. And then when Ronnie Stanley missed two-thirds of the season with a torn ACL, Orlando Brown Jr. did a good job of filling in at left tackle, but... DJ Fluker was not nearly as good at right tackle. So all of these things combined to make it hard for Lamar Jackson. And I don't pin that much of the blame on him. We've talked about that. And then also one final piece that I almost forgot about when I was doing this. Mark Andrews went from being one of the best receiving weapons at the tight end position in the league in 2019 to just pretty much a non-factor for most of 2020. Yeah, that was a pretty stark contract. He is one of those guys where I don't know how much the pandemic actually affected him because he obviously had a lot of issues um, with his personal health that he had to worry about. Uh, He missed weeks on weeks of training and practices, and he missed like weeks of the season with the with the team. 
um, because of his health issues. So I, I think that that was something that it didn't affect that many players in the league, but it should definitely be considered when evaluating his performance. But it also shows how important a number one tight end is to an offense. They were clearly missing that part of their offense. And Nick Boyle wasn't going to be the person that stepped in to, to cover up for him. So maybe if he can come back to what he was last year, I, I think that that could be a huge factor in the Ravens offense. Their defense, I gave a B minus because their run game improved compared to 2019, which was what we expected. They definitely invested in it by drafting Patrick Queen and a couple other guys, but their past defense definitely regressed. So they ended up just inside the top 10 in DVOA, which I actually thought probably should have been a little bit higher given the amount of talent on that defense. What do you think? Yeah, I give them a B too. I didn't think that their defense was necessarily worse than their offense this year. I thought that they both had similar problems in that things that should have been better weren't. Their secondary was stacked. Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey were not as good as we were hoping that they would be this year. They were solid and they had their bursts, but that that cornerback duo should be a lot better than they were. And it wasn't it wasn't bad. Obviously, a good hardball defense is pretty consistent. They're, he's not going to have a bad defense by any means. They had the talent to be a, a much better defense. I, I just give them a B because they were solid. They, they were they were good enough that if they had a strong offense, they could have made a push. They are a pretty consistent defense because Wink Martindale is always going to light you up with a ton of blitzes. They actually cut their blitz percentage by 10 points from last year, and they still led the league in blitz percentage. One thing that I just, I had almost forgotten that Yannick Ngakwe was on their team for most of the last season uh, because yeah. he never, he never fit in there. He just didn't work as well with all the blitzes. He's just a better one-on-one pass rusher. So they just use more of a rotation at defensive line. I, I agree. I think that Baltimore's defensive defensive line was pretty solid. Uh, Martindale loves to blitz. Drew Don played his role. I think that their their defensive role was, was, was about a, a pretty average B, and their coaching, I think, has to be an A, right? I gave them a B plus because I really like Wink Martindale. I'm actually a little surprised he hasn't gotten head coaching buzz. He's just so consistently good that he's never really a hot name, I feel like. But he called one of the more impressive games, I think, quietly that I've seen against the Bills where he just completely cut down on their blitzing, and it didn't matter because the Ravens' offense couldn't get going, but their defense was really good in that game. The reason I gave them a B-plus instead of an A was because Greg Roman schemed, obviously, one of the best run games in the league, but their drop-back passing game was just a disaster and not at all suited for their personnel. So I had to take away some points for that because they never figured out a passing game, and as good as Lamar Jackson is, as good as their running backs were, it's still hard to win if you can only run the ball. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I think that's also a good transition onto our rookies, uh, which I gave a B. I think that J.K. Dobbins was a pretty solid rusher, but you know what we said about running backs. Does he bring to the table what another running back can't do? Maybe, maybe not. I, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's really, really hard to, to compare them. But uh, he had a solid season. Tyree Phillips had to do a lot more than they expected him to do. And he was decent. He also had a pretty good run in there, too. Uh, I don't know if you remember that 12-yard run that he had off the fumble recovery. But Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I vividly remember that. Where, where he got injured on the tackle. But it, it was definitely worth it because it was, uh, it was crazy. But it was, it was just overall, it wasn't that great. Patrick Queen, obviously, we can't talk about him. We can't talk about this draft class without talking about him. Pretty solid. But he also had the second lowest PFF grade of all off-ball linebackers in uh, 2020. I give him a, a B. I, it, was, it, was, it was another solid draft class in this division. Just I think it could have been a little better. I was actually a good bit higher on this draft class than you were because they got a ton of players who made an impact in year one. And I expect pretty much all of them to play a bigger role in year two, which is going to be huge for them. I give them an A- minus in the end. As you mentioned, Patrick Queen was not great in pass coverage, specifically zone coverage, but he was a pretty efficient pass rusher. And I think that they could try to use him this year in some of the ways that the Bucks did Devin White. So like letting him take advantage of his speed on green dog blitzes, letting him clean up all the junk around the line of scrimmage, doing all of that stuff. And he just showed enough to provide hope that he'll be good. Again, it's crazy that J.K. Dobbins took 
half the season, maybe more than half the season to seize the top running back job when he was pretty clearly all along the best running back on the team. I was surprised by how long it took them to give him that job. And then they just got solid players all around. They got Malik Harrison, Devin DuVernay, both of whom can take a step forward. And then one player who I really liked was Justin Matabuike. And I might have pronounced his name, so sorry Matabuike, about that. I think. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, who really came on strong late in the season. He had a really impressive playoff game against the Titans where he just did a, a really nice job of shooting gaps and blowing up a couple of runs against what we know is a really good run game led by Derrick Henry, obviously. So I have hope for all of those guys, which is why I gave them a slightly higher grade. Yeah, I don't think I gave depth enough credit in this one, uh, just because compared to the past couple of draft classes in this division, um, they were much deeper, but it, it was a pretty solid draft. I think all four in this draft were probably the, the all four in this division were probably the best division that we've covered so far in terms of de- and rookie rookie classes overall because there none of them really had a bad one. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Okay, so we've got two more categories to finish this out and then you can go to bed. Vibes uh, I will it- definitely not be going to bed after this. <laughs> okay. Vibes I gave the Ravens a B. I didn't really have a strong opinion on this. It just started sort of negative. Their offense obviously could not get going and then got better over the second half. So sort of like um, that Brown game up till Lamar shipped to the bathroom and then after he came back. The jerseys didn't bring it up for you. <laughs> oh, B plus. B plus. Gotta add that. I, I also gave them a B plus. Uh, but this is very biased because I'm a huge fan of running back play and I got a lot of it with the with the Ravens. It, it was it was just so much fun to watch and especially because we're in the DMV. I got it on CBS every week so that was a lot of fun to watch. And just overall, they, they they looked like a good Ravens team. It wasn't as good as they were the year prior, I don't think. But at least they have room to improve, and they've shown uh, some pieces that are very necessary in a championship winning team. To finish this out, we're going to the offseason outlook, as always, which I had a little bit of trouble grading this, but I gave them a B plus, um, and I think you'll see why in a bit. So... They lost quite a few players, quite a few good players. So Matthew Judon, Matt Skura, Willie Sneed, Jihad Ward, Yannick Ngakwe, but he was never coming back. So I just didn't count. I didn't mark it against them that much. And then one of your guys, Morgan Cox, the long snapper. And so between Judon, Ward, and One of the better ones too. Yes. They've lost a good amount of pass rushing production, which I actually just don't think matters all that much because so much of their pressure is schemed up rather than just sending their players against the other team's offensive line. And they only added, so far at the very least, Kevin Zeitler and Sammy Watkins, who I think Watkins is a good addition for the type of player they need. They just can't count on him to be there all year round. They're left with $12.5 million in cap space, but they're eating $10 million in dead money for Earl Thomas, which I just forgot that all of that happened uh, until like uh, this past week. That was a crazy saga, and they're eating a ton of dead money just to get rid of him. I think that I give them a B. Uh, I thought that it was a pretty solid offseason in the fact that they signed Kevin Zeitler, which is a huge uh, piece that, that's necessary for that offensive line, at least for the future, because they really needed him. They, they kept fluctuating, at least at the guard position, and he'll bring at least some consistency. Sammy Watkins is fine, but I think they could have done better uh, with the amount of money that they had. There's so many options available at wide receiver, and they didn't really go strongly for any of them. They went pretty hard for Juju, but he decided to stay with Pittsburgh for less money. I would be shocked if he went to Baltimore, though. But yeah, I, I think that it was a fine uh, pickup. I think Sammy Watkins is pretty underrated because of his, his role on the Chiefs. I don't think he's going to be that underrated to the point where he's a star. But I, I think that they could have done a little bit better on the wide receiver position. To mention your Morgan Cox thing, obviously a devastating loss. But maybe they'll draft Cameron Cheeseman out of uh, Michigan. Okay. Cameron <laughs> gonna... Cheeseman. And the only reason I know who that is is because of his name. Okay, fair enough. They're really only their remaining needs, which they can address pretty easily in the draft, are slot receiver and center. They need to replace Willie Sneed, um, and that's why they wanted Juju. He would have been a great fit. And long snapper, but yeah. And long snapper. My apologies. But 
I think that this offseason and the reason I gave them a pretty high grade despite not having added a ton is because they're not necessarily going to be going all in on adding new personnel, although help on the offensive line will be important. Instead, it's going to be more about how they mesh together their players and the play calling in a better way than they did this past season, which is why I didn't think that they needed to add a ton. They just needed to get more out of their players. Uh, I thought so, too. They, they had a pretty solid team overall. The AFC is just so tough. It's ridiculous, the contrast between them and the, and the NFC. Like, it used to be, like, close. The NFC and the AFC used to go up and down. AFC would tend to win the, the Pro Bowl pretty often, but overall, they kept going back and forth. But now it is a clear divide, and the power has shifted. The AFC is miles away from the NFC at this point. Yeah, that is definitely true. And especially because all the good young quarterbacks are in the AFC, which is just going to make it an insane conference for years and years to come. Yeah. To finish this out, we're going to do our full team grades for everyone because we forgot to do them at first. So let's just start with the Ravens where we already were. And I give them a B. Um, So just like a solid team, but maybe didn't hit their potential. They'll make a run, but. It's it's a you're throwing it up in the air at this point in the AFC. You never know. They could get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs or make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So the next team, I don't even remember if this is in order anymore or in reverse order, is the Bengals. What grade did you give them? <sighs> I was torn, but I ended up with a C. I think it was between a C minus and a C. I just think that the rookies brought it up because I thought that T. Higgins and Joe Burrow were pretty good picks. They got to make Joe Burrow their focus. And if not, it's going to be another 10 years of mediocrity. I was significantly harsher. I gave them a D plus, And the only reason it wasn't an F was because Joe Burrow was good. Everything else on this team was just completely unimpressive and yeah. probably deserving of an F. But I, I could see the argument for going a little bit higher. What did you give the Browns? Uh, the Browns were my highest rated team in this division. I gave them an A minus. It was between a B plus and an A minus, but I said, why not? I, I love a good offensive line. We've talked about how much we prioritize offensive lines on this podcast. So I'll give them an A minus. They, they killed free agency. Their coaching is really good. That, that organization is run beautifully. And it's just, they're, they're a fun team to watch now. I was debating pretty much the same thing as you for a while. And then I thought, wait a second, this team hadn't been in the playoffs in 18 years and they made the playoffs. That's an A. This is a report card for last year. I have to give them an A if they made the playoffs. So that that's just where I ended up. And then, as you mentioned, their offseason just made them an even more appealing team for 2021. Yeah, they're they're definitely another team to look out for come playoff time next year. To close this out, we have the team that we started with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Adam, what grade did you give them? I give them a C plus. And while their defense was fantastic, that team is in a tough position because Big Ben is not it. And it's pretty clear that he's not going to be it in the future. And yet they kind of have to play him next year. They don't really have a tr- They can't bench him because who are they going to play? Doc Hodges, Mason Rudolph. It's really an awful position to be in, uh, for especially for like the young guys like Chase Claypool and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. But maybe they'll pull off uh, another positive season, and I think that would be worst-case scenario for them. But Mike Tomlin is a different different breed of coach. You're not wrong. I give them C plus two for a lot of the same reasons. Their defense carried the hell out of their team, and their offense just could not step up. They all they just needed something, and when you lose to the Browns when they're missing their head coach and one of their best offensive linemen in the first round of the playoffs after beating them. Actually, did they beat them during the regular season? I don't remember. I think they must have. I think they did. Either way, when you get blown out in such an embarrassing fashion, that is, it was a fitting end to what was a relatively embarrassing season after starting out 11-0 or maybe 12-0. Yeah, I think the nail on the coffin was actually when they lost to the Washington football team. Because that showed, like, if you completely eliminate an o- offense from the game, they they can't win football games. And they, they were completely gone that game. And it, it just shows how little that they can do with Ben Roethlisberger. And it's going to be a tough year to watch for a Steelers fan. 
And that does it for the AFC North. We will be back next week. We will be talking about the AFC East, my home division. We will be bringing on some friends to do it. So I hope you guys tune in and have a good week.